The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. It's a Monday, and it's The Jesse Kelly Show, and it's going to be fun today. Why? Well, yesterday was June 6th, the anniversary of D-Day, and you know what? I'll get to that in just a moment. Hang on on that. Let me lead with this before I get to everything else. Yeah, we're going to talk about what Trump said. 
We're going to talk about this new thing with taxes. We're going to talk about people riding bicycles without pants on. We're going to take your phone calls and emails. We're going to have Michael Malice on. Selena Zito's coming in the last hour. She wants to talk about that military dude from Space Force who got ousted. We just we have all this stuff, but allow me to lead with this right here. The big announcement, the one I've been teasing for like two weeks, tomorrow. Tomorrow. It will not be today. I will tell you, I's are now dotted, T's are now crossed. The deal is done. Tomorrow, you will find out what it is, and it is a gigantic announcement for the Jesse Kelly Show. And I have to tell you, I really want to give myself all the credit. But, Chris, what? I thought we were being honest here. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I will be giving you that announcement tomorrow. Do not worry. And once I announce, I'll be making my long-awaited return to social media. I know people have been dying without me. What, Chris? Now, back to the story. This was, well, this day has never happened to me before. Um, I had something I wanted to do on Monday. Oh, full disclosure, I'm just going to give, I'm going to give away the whole game, give you a little behind the scenes thing. I even teased it last week. I really, really, really wanted to do the new Georgia campaign for the Pacific part of World War II. One you've probably never heard of before until I just said it to you. Nobody knows about it, which is part of the reason I want to do it. And it was horrible. And it, it, it just. And so yesterday I sit down and I dig into New Georgia. And I'm, I'm watching stuff and I'm reading stuff. You can't even hardly find materials to research on it. I mean, it's hard to find. But I, I put it, I mean, three hours of work probably on it. I dig into New Georgia. I finish it all up and I'm done. And then, well, the time came to take our boys off uh, uh, to the grandparents' house. We took them over there for a week. And it was a long drive. And I said to myself, it's June 6th. How in the world am I going to not talk to my boys about D-Day? June 6th is D-Day. It's the anniversary of D-Day. I have to talk to them about D-Day. And so I tell them, Buckle up, boys. I have now downloaded two or three D-Day podcasts. That's what we'll be listening to. No, you're not allowed to read your books on the way. I made them put their books down. And before we even got to D-Day, I gave them a breakdown of what D-Day was and all that. And then made them listen to these podcasts. And as I'm doing all this, I said to myself, how in the world can I not do a D-Day show on Monday? It's the day after the anniversary of D-Day. I have to do a D-Day show. So what I'm telling you is this. I had a totally different show planned until about 15 minutes ago, and now you and I are going to talk about D-Day today. New Georgia, in case you're wondering about that, I will do it tomorrow. Don't worry. I will do it tomorrow. We're going to have two World War II days in a row, apparently. That's fine. It was a big war. It's a big world. Now let's dig into D-Day. Let's go over a couple things you may not have heard. First and foremost, as we often do, let's pretend as if everybody was educated in an American education system. Therefore, you don't really know any real history at all. 
I'm not even being tongue-in-cheek. I bring that up because remember that show we did a couple weeks ago on the Lusitania? And how there were four million rifle rounds on that ship that the British had hit on there. There were shell casings on that ship that were going to get turned into artillery shells. And I mean, there was there were munitions, like lots of them on the ship. And yesterday, while I was talking to my boys about history, they brought up the Lusitania. It just came up. One of my sons brought it up. And I just, out of curiosity, I asked them both, really, what happened in Lusitania? The Germans sunk a passenger liner on purpose. I said, oh, oh, okay. No reason at all? Nope, that's what we read in our history books. I said, and that's your problem, son. Everything you read in a history book, you need to question. Especially when your history books teach you about good guys and bad guys. Because those people really don't exist very often. Like, unless we're talking about Nazis or the Aztecs or someone like that, there aren't really good guys and bad guys. And even in the Aztecs, remember we did the Conquistador show last week. I mean, it's not like the Conquistadors were great dudes. <laughs> they were busy. They had, uh, it's the best way to put this for a family show, female slaves, lots of them that they took in from the Indians. Uh, they weren't mowing the lawn, not those kind of slaves either, okay? It, it was uh, The conquistadors were not, not great people either. So the good guys and bad guys stuff is weird. Now let's move on to D-Day. You and I always talk about D-Day from an American perspective, and we're going to do that again today as I break it down for people who've, who've only ever read it in American history books. But I'm going to give you a little bit of Germany's perspective today that will kind of make it a little bit a little bit, a little different take than what you've heard. I found it to be a very interesting approach to get that way. Now, for those who don't know, World War II, big war. You've undoubtedly heard of it. 1941, we get bombed at Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, not by Germany. I can't stress this enough, not by Germany. And America has a much different mentality back then than we do now. We were much more tied to our founding mentality of America does not intervene in foreign wars. We simply do not. We don't do it. Even after Pearl Harbor, and even though Americans hated Nazis already and we hated Hitler, this is before we knew they were exterminating Jews, we didn't want to fight Germany. We don't get involved. That's Europe's problem. I mean, look, we'll send some food. We'll send some ammo. We're not going over there to die. That is Europe's problem. That was America's response. Now, after that Japanese sucker punch, remember they bombed us before they declared war. We wanted to pound Japan into a powder. But we didn't care about Germany. But Hitler, because he was a psychopath, just decided to declare war on America. Maybe the most nonsensical move in the history of warfare. We weren't interested in Germany. Okay, so Hitler declares war on America. We, in turn, declare war on Germany. But here's the thing about D-Day people can get wrong, and they get this wrong because dates are a horrible thing to talk about when it comes to history, and every single person who talks about history does it. And I, they do it because they have the knowledge, and they think it makes them sound smarter, and, and you know, they think, they think you're writing this down. Dates get lost on everyone. There's nobody out there who hears dates and gets them. And this was in June of 1941. And this took place. This was actually August of 1942. And I've already lost. Uh, uh, but, 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 but. 
By the time D-Day happened, here's what I want you to understand about dates. By the time D-Day happened, you've seen Saving Private Ryan, you know the story, getting off on the beaches, all these things. By the time that happened, we had been at war in the Pacific with Japan for years. By the time D-Day happened, we had already wrapped up the war in Northern Africa. By the time D-Day happened, we were in a vicious slog fighting the Germans in Italy. We look at D-Day oftentimes, because we get the dates mixed up, we look at D-Day as like, that's where we kicked it off. No. No. That was simply the beginning of the end. It wasn't the beginning of the beginning. We will go over that. And we'll go into no pants while you're riding a bike. Hang on. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me a drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. It is The Jesse Kelly Show. If you are missing me on social media, you can follow me at Jesse Kelly DC on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Locals too. That's the one I can't be kicked off of. Yes, the announcement, the big one that I've been teasing and teasing and teasing is finally here tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, it's not today. I, I can't do anything about that. You should know, and I can't emphasize this enough. It is very, very big. Uh, you're not going to be disappointed with it, that's for sure. It's very big. There are changes coming, so you're going to want to tune in tomorrow. I will break down all of it for you. Absolutely everything. So just sit tight. Um, I've done everything I could to move this thing along a little faster. I can't do I, – I, the fact that it's taken so long is not my fault. I just want to put it out there. It's not my fault. Now, back to our story. D-Day. Again, I, I do want to emphasize D-Day is after a lot of fighting in the Pacific, after North Africa, after it. This is Fortress Europe. And the plan was simply this. The British and Americans – and Canadians, we were all going to get together over there in England. We were going to find a way to invade what we called Fortress Europe. 
Now, let's stop on that for a moment. I'm going to stop on a couple things today that aren't normally stopped on because I think it's important to go over some details because a lot of you know the story already about D-Day. So I'm not going to highlight the beach, the boats landing on the beaches and stuff like that. You know that. You've seen the movies. You've read the books. You know all that. Was Europe a fortress? Well, yes and no. Here's what I mean. You know who Rommel is, undoubtedly. He's the Desert Fox, the legendary German general, an absolute stud. You don't have to feel bad about admiring Rommel. He was not a Nazi. He was simply a German general. He thought these Nazis were idiots, but the war breaks out, and he's a general in the German army and very, very capable, and he takes off and does some fighting. Well, remember how I just said the fighting in Africa was done by then? Rommel was done in Africa. What did Hitler do with Rommel when Rommel was done in Africa? He said, hey, Brother Irwin, you're not Jewish, are you? No, I'm just kidding. I made that part up. Hey, Brother Irwin, I need you to fortify Europe so the Allies can't invade. He put Irwin Rommel in charge of fortifying Europe. What did he do? Well, that's when we get to the part that you've seen. He built pillboxes. He had... All kinds of obstacles on the beaches. He had crossing machine gun fire set up everywhere. He had artillery, not uh, not only artillery there, artillery that was already sighted in. You see, uh, you can sight in artillery and mortar fire to where you know exactly where to set your gun, for lack of a better way to put it, and you know where it will hit in general. Obviously, you're subject to a couple different things, but... Artillery that's already sighted in is a very, very, very powerful thing. Now, Hitler did make a big mistake when it comes to one thing. When he told Rommel to make Europe a fortress, he didn't pick the likely spots we would invade. Hitler wanted Rommel to make all of it a fortress. And this is the problem. Pull up a map. That's too much coast. That's too much to defend. Even if you're the greatest army in the world with unlimited resources, and they were neither at this point in time, but even if you're the greatest army in the world with unlimited resources, you can't possibly defend all of that the way you want to defend it. Now, the defenses were strong, but they weren't near as strong as they could have been. That's part one. Part two, you need to know from a German perspective on how they were looking at it. There was another powerful general up there. I'm not going to give you his name because I've already given too many names and dates. But he was kind of competing with Rommel on the German side. I don't want to say competing. They got along, but they had a serious disagreement on how they should defend the coast from the Allied invasion. And I can't stress this enough. The Germans knew we were going to invade. They knew the Allies were coming. This was not news. Okay, They knew it. There was a disagreement with Rommel and this other general about what the best way to do that was. The other general believed we should pull a lot of our men back from the coast to keep them from getting destroyed by the naval guns before the Allies even land. And then once they land, then we'll have the freedom to move around the interior where we want and blow them out of the water or blow them off the off the shores. Rommel disagreed with this completely. And in, in my opinion, this is simply an opinion portion. 
Rommel was 100% right. Rommel said, yeah, if we keep all of our troops on the shore, the naval guns will hammer them. There's no question about it, but you don't understand the air power these allies are bringing. If No matter where we are, they're going to use their air power and blow us out anyway. We might as well prevent them from getting a foothold. So what happened? How'd they resolve this? Well, they did the thing that is so often celebrated and the thing I hate the most. They compromised. Such an overrated word. Let's compromise. Well, look, if you're a couple and you're having a stupid argument, an argument about something dumb, I had one yesterday with the wife about something dumb. It's perfectly fine for both of you to come together and be like, all right, that was dumb, right? Which we did. But if you don't think the family should sit down together and do drugs and your wife thinks you guys should all do cocaine every Friday night, you and the kids, should you compromise? Sometimes right is right and wrong is wrong. The Germans compromised. They put plenty of troops on the border. They kept plenty of troops, however, in reserve, which they thought would give them more mobility to move them. Okay, so we know they're attacking here. Let's take this reserve unit behind the line and race up to the line and move them up there. There's something else about the German defenses you need to know. These were not Germany's crack troops for the most part. What do I mean by that? Well, what, was, what had been going on by 1944? The German invasion of the Soviet Union. And anyone who knows anything about that invasion, and listeners to this show know a lot about that invasion, anyone who knows anything about it knows the loss of life on the eastern front of World War II is unlike anything that has ever been seen in the history of mankind on both sides. What that means is, let's say you had a German division and the, the, the communists wiped it out. And you only have a few guys left in the division. You know, for the most part, the division's gone. Well, Germany had this policy, and it's actually a very smart policy, of, okay, well, these guys, there's only a few of them left. Yes, the division's gone. But think about the knowledge these guys have who've just been through that. Let's pull them out of the Soviet Union. Don't throw them away now. Pull them back to what it was thought of as a very safe place. France for Germany was a very safe place throughout the war until we got there. Let's pull them back to safe France and mix these old veterans who just went through a huge, huge battles. Mix them in with our young, raw recruits who just got out of basic training so these veterans can teach them the what's what. That's what was on the coast. It wasn't Germany's crack troops. Whoever read that, whoever, whoever told you that was wrong, it wasn't Germany's garbage troops either. Whoever told you that was wrong. What it was was a mix of a few very salty veterans, and yeah, probably good troops, and a bunch of really young guys. But that doesn't make them bad. They were just young and didn't have very much experience yet. That's who was sitting in those pillboxes. Now, there was someone else in those pillboxes you don't know anything about. And I'm going to tell you about them here in just a second. Then we'll get to Donald Trump in Wuhan. Hang on.
They failed in Washington. They failed all over the place. Between the impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, all of these investigations, ah, oh, we failed. <laughs> Let's send it to the radical left prosecutors in New York. Maybe they can have more luck. They'll never stop until November of 2024. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I have some Trump thoughts here in about maybe 10 minutes. I have some Trump thoughts that, well, they're probably going to make you mad. I do miss him, though, I'll tell you that much. If for no other reason than... I miss having a functional adult as president of the United States. And I'm really not, honestly, I know we laugh about it a lot and we always will. That's not meant to be a cheap shot at Joe Biden. That's just meant as a patriotic remark. I have, look, I've been very forward with you about this. I'm embarrassed. I want Kamala Harris to take over as president. And people are shocked when I say that, but I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. I want her to take over. Yes, I know she's a horrible person. And and just the word, there's nothing bad you can say about Kamala Harris that I'd be like, oh, no, you're wrong about that. I get that. But she's a functional adult. It is embarrassing in front of the rest of the world to have a president who's not functional. And I'll say something else, and I've told you this again a thousand times, it's dangerous. It is dangerous. It's not just a funny soundbite that you and I get to laugh about every time we play something Joe Biden says that's stupid. COVID cases are down. COVID deaths are up. It's not, it's not just something you and I get to gag about, which we're, we have to laugh about it. What else we could do? It's a signal to the rest of the world that America is weak and led by a half-brain and the, it, the time is now to push at us. That's what it is. Anyway, back to my story on DDA as I'll try to wrap this thing up here. Just trying to give you a little different angle. So, you know who else was in those German pillboxes? It wasn't just a few salty veterans and a bunch of young recruits. It was a bunch of Czechs and people from Georgia and whatnot. Now, I know what you're saying. What were they doing in there? Well, remember we've talked a bunch about how Germany, when they invaded the Soviet Union, they really acted barbaric, mostly obviously to the Jews and gypsies and gay people and things like that, just instant extermination. But they didn't act instantly barbaric to everyone. They thought some of these guys were, I don't have a better way to put it, white enough to kind of join the German cause. The German generals definitely thought that. They would take over an area and think, hey, we have a bunch of able-bodied young men here, and these were young men who hated communists. Remember, these guys hated Stalin. They hated communism. Why don't we just throw a freaking German uniform on him and hand him a rifle and let him fight with us? What's the harm? They were doing that for a while, and then Hitler, again, because he's an idiot, said, well, we can't have non-Aryans over there. We can't trust these subhumans. Generals, send us all those guys. And the generals said back to Hitler, they always got frustrated with him, are you out of your mind? We need the troops. We're in the fight of our lives in the Soviet Union here. We can't, 
We can't give up troops to you because you don't like their race. What's wrong with you? But only one man was calling the shots in Germany at that time. And they, he pulled the people they viewed as subhuman off the lines on the Eastern Front and sent them to France. A lot of those guys, we were shooting in the pillboxes. They weren't even German. In fact, they didn't even want to be there. They wanted to be killing communists. They didn't have anything against Americans or Canadians or British. One last thing on this D-Day thing. Again, from the German perspective, uh, approaching it a different way today. I want you to imagine this. Because we have always approached it, understandably, from the American perspective. And it is, I mean, what's the most scared you've ever been in your life? What's the most scared you've ever been? Imagine being in one of those amphibious vehicles when other ones are blowing up all around you and people are dying, people are screaming, bullets are flying, and they're about to drop the door on one of those, and you're going to run into pre-prepared machine gun fire that's already sighted in where you're landing, and that's if you didn't hit a mine. One thing we don't talk about enough is the Germans, again, pre- preparing for this, they had mined all the, all the beaches, and they had mined the water in front of the beach, and they had mined it at different levels depending on the tide. So you could be sailing in there in your amphibious vehicle. You don't get hit with machine gun fire. You don't get hit with an artillery round. You don't do anything wrong. You just run into a mine under the water at the appropriate depth, and now you're all dead. They talk, you, if, you, if you read stories from the veterans as they're going in, you hear this a lot. I mean, this gets relayed a lot, so it must have happened plenty of, you know, they're looking over the side now and then, seeing what's what, how far do you have the shore. You know, it's, 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 it's tough to be scared and not seeing. So you don't want to stick your head up, but at some point you're going to stick your head up. And they talked a lot about... They would look right next door, and you know, that's going to be your buddy. That's going to be a platoon next to you that you know and people you know. And one second, the boat was there, and then they looked away, and they looked back, and the boat's just gone. They're just gone. I uh, was reading something from one of, one of the veterans, one of the first guys on the beach, and he talked about, he talked about how as soon as he landed, and the machine gun fire was coming, and the boat right next to him, right next to him, got hit with a piece of artillery. And he said that's when it hit him because he grabs a guy thinking he's still alive and rolls him over and finds out he's got half a head. And then he runs to his commander to, to report on what's happening, and his commander's dead too. And he's looking around and he's asking who's in charge and everyone is so scared and it's so chaotic. Whoever was in charge was just the person who decided to take charge. And he said, that's when I knew. And he was being interviewed by someone else and they asked him, you know, what, what, what was the difference between living and dying? And he said, 
luck. He said, there's no way, there's no way to plan for this. Everyone was dying all the time. There's no way to plan for it. You land on a beach where they have pre-sighted in artillery rounds. That's if your ship didn't hit a mine on the way in. That's if they didn't let you out in too deep a water so you drown because your pack weighs too much. That's if you didn't die as soon as the ramp drops because the machine guns are sighted in where the ramps drop. Once you've survived all that, if you survive all that, you now have to fight your way through barbed wire and an open beach while they're looking down on you. Remember from Omaha, they had the cliffs. There were five different beach landings. From Omaha, they had the cliffs. They're firing down on you. You're in an open beach. It That anybody survived it is astounding. Is astounding. Don't forget those men. And next June 6th, if you didn't this last time, that's fine. Next June 6th, talk about it with your kids. Even if it's two minutes, make sure they understand. We'll wrap this thing up. I'll give you one thing from the German perspective, and then we're we're going to have a hard conversation about Trump, you and I. Hang on. the Jesse Kelly show and it is me Jesse Kelly now my big announcement is still to come you did not miss the big announcement do not worry fear not Chris uh, we can say that right fear not 877-377-4373 Jesse at jessekellyshow.com big announcement is coming tomorrow though tomorrow so don't worry All right. There are big changes coming. All good changes. I'm going to do what I always do and give it to you 100% straight. I'll break it all down for you. It's all good stuff. Don't worry. Um, You're going to like them. You're going to like them. Now, on to D-Day before we have a tough conversation about Trump. Are we ready to have a tough conversation about Trump, Chris? Because I have to have one, and it's it's not just specific specifically with him. It's with a lot of people, a lot of people on the right. Um, the Germans. One more thing from the Germans. I want you to imagine this from their perspective, and this is what I mean. Imagine you're a German. Trooper. You're a German soldier. Now, obviously, if, if, if he's a card-carrying Nazi, I'm not asking you to feel some sympathy for, for some guy who wants to murder Jews. But remember, that was not like the majority of the German army. They were just patriotic Germans. I want you to imagine you're a German soldier. You're in one of those pillboxes. And what you get, first of all, on January 6th is... Not some soldiers running on the shore. What you get is 
a naval bombardment like you've never seen in your life. You see, you woke up that day, and as you looked out over the horizon on the water, as you did every single day, you, instead of seeing an empty sea, remember, you didn't know this was coming, instead of seeing an empty sea, you wake up, open your eyes, look out, and see the largest fleet in the history of mankind coming your way, and there aren't just boats, they seem to be... They seem to be exploding? Oh, wait. Those are naval guns bombing our way the entire way in. We bombed the Germans to smithereens before we landed on that beach. No, we didn't get nearly everyone because you can't ever do that. We have discovered that. We've tried it time and time again. It doesn't matter if you double, triple, quadruple, put a million times as many shells on this place than you did the last place. You can't ever get them all with just naval shells. You always need boots on the ground. But I did think about that, and I did find that was fascinating. Imagine that, waking up and you're a German, and here comes the largest fleet ever. And you've basically been told, hey, we're going to have reinforcements coming your way. Don't worry. Only the planning was so good, and they pulled this whole thing off so effectively that we landed a bunch of very, very brave men behind the lines to secure bridges and roads, and in some cases, blow bridges and roads. So those German reinforcements, remember the compromise, because the German reinforcements were behind the line, so the German reinforcements couldn't get up to where they needed to be on the front line. You're stuck there with the largest fleet ever coming towards you, and there's no help on the way. What does that feel like? And remember this. Remember this. In the eyes of that German, the people coming, they're the barbarians. Weird, right? Anyway, next June 6th. Like I said, I wasn't even going to do this show today. I just decided it was probably very appropriate to go ahead and do it. Next June 6th, take a moment and talk to your family about what happened. doesn't have to be an hour doesn't have to be a podcast or a documentary or something like that. Just take a moment and tell them what happened. Now, let's have a frank talk, shall we, about Donald Trump. About a lot of people on the right. So this applies to a lot of people, but specifically about Donald Trump. Do you want Donald Trump to run again? Do you want Donald Trump to run again? I understand he is by a country mile the most popular Republican in the country. If he runs again, he will walk to the nomination. In fact, now you'll have a couple uh, a couple never Trump types would run against him if he ran. They wouldn't run with the anticipation of winning. They'd run knowing their name ID, their publicity would go through the roof. It's just good. Look, it's good for... It's good for the brand to run for president. It just is. A lot of people get confused when when you see all these no-name losers running for president. Like, remember Eric Swalwell, the guy who farted on national television? You remember Eric Swalwell? And he jumped in the race. And this guy was a jerkwater congressman. No one even knew who he was. And he jumps in the race and starts running for president. And everyone's looking around saying, why? They run for president for two reasons. One. You try to catch lightning in a bottle like Barack Obama did. Barack Obama wasn't supposed to win that primary when he ran against Hillary Clinton. You either run, you either try to catch lightning in the bottle, but remember this because we're about to experience it as Republicans. They won't, but it'll be our turn. 
Life is pretty good when you're running for president. Now let's have that talk about Trump. Hang on. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com, Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. Every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.